Left. Right. Insidious. Proceeding in gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. Insidious is this gradual change over time for the negative. There's a lot of things going on right now uh, in our society where we might consider it to be insidious. Well, we, we discuss a few of those. And, uh, you know, every generation looks at the next generation and says, ah, this change is terrible. What is the world coming to? This is, uh, everything's going to hell. Uh, I don't necessarily think that it is. I think there's a lot of good change. But listen to this episode. We rationalize one way, the other way, back and forth. Uh, would love your opinion. Make sure to throw in the comments what you think. Is the world heading towards a worse place, a better place? The changes we discuss, do you agree with us on the ones we believe are bad overall? Or do you believe uh, they're actually good in the long run? Uh, either way, I'll let you listen on. I'm going to talk too much. Uh, and we already did that. So enjoy the episode. See you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 All right, that means we are last episode one hundred and eighty-six. My name is Justin DeGiulio, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell. James is in Charleston, South Carolina. James the Bosnator, a philosopher, a bartender, a professional referee, and most exciting of all, an accountant. He's telling me my volume is low. That's not good. Let's uh, let's look at this volume situation. See if we can boost that up. It's and a little better now, but it's all right. Well, let's see. Audio input. We will adjust the audio input. How about now? Is it any better? Yeah, what's weird is that now <laughs> it changed the output on my computer. <laughs> well, as as we cope, uh, I will <laughs> listen to myself on repeat here, and we'll talk about the topic. Tonight's topic is insidious, or insidiousness, or just general bad change overall. Uh, you want to lead with the definition of insidious, and then you can tell me about the Puritans? Um, yeah, hold on. Let me pull up the actual dictionary definition of insidious. All right, let me uh, ask I you was thinking about this a lot on Sunday night. Yeah, um, you said, you, said you, you could barely sleep. You were up. It was stirring around in your mind. Yeah, it kept me awake for a while, and like I kept on coming back to this word. And the definition of insidious is proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. And that makes me think of like like some type of poison ivy or vines or something, something along or those lines. Cancer, or cancer. Cancer would be one. Uh, okay, so why was this stuck in your mind? Well, I was thinking about what happened in Buffalo, which we're going to be talking about in a little more detail shortly. And I was thinking of like, how did we get here? And I don't know if you've ever gone on. Have you ever read The Onion? I think we... Did you send me a link to that article? I did. Okay. All right. I knew I, I came across this article. Uh, so there's an article on The Onion 
um, that's titled "No Way to Prevent This." Says na- says only nation where this occurs regularly, and it's an article that they write that they copy and paste every time there's a mass shooting, and they've probably posted the same article at this point like probably fifty times, and they just like change out a couple details in it in terms of like the location and the number of people killed. But the point that they're making every time that they post this article is like this keeps on happening and we keep on saying there's no way to prevent this, but we're the only place where this happens. Um, I I read that article. I was trying to think of somewhere else that it, it might be comparable to the U S there, there, there's nowhere like have mass shootings happened in other countries. And the answer is yes. However, what, like you might have one every 10, 20 or a hundred years in these other countries. And we have them like twice a month. Um, and yeah, like they also increasing with regularity as well. Yes. Um, and so that's kind of where I was getting like, where one of the, one of the ways in which the, the word insidious kept on popping into my head is I feel like in the past 20 years, the the severity and the regularity of mass shootings has not only increased but our national reaction to them has become more and more a shrug of the shoulders and it's it's been a slow gradual change cuz if you think about like the first really major like shooting in this country it would have been columbine in 1999 and that was so traumatic for this country that everybody still remembers it and there was Very a true. lot There's, of talk about I can it tell you i think the point that you the point that you're getting to though is i can name columbine i probably can't name the majority of the others no and part of that's because it's just too many to track yeah, like your brain only has so much capacity to list to to rattle off a list that long, but it's also like if you were to ask me talk about like major shootings or whatever, I could probably talk to you about ten of them, like that I have some familiarity with. That is like, uh, that is pretty scary. Like I can, I've got four right in, in my mind right now. What are, Five. What are they? Six. What are they? All right, throw them out. Pul- there. All right, Pulse nightclub, Orlando. Las Vegas, the the country music thing, um, where the there was okay, there was one yeah, of, that was like fifty people from from the hotel, yeah, from the hotel yeah, window, yeah. So that's okay. two. And the Pulse, um, there was the Pulse one. nightclub. Hold on, Pulse nightclub was was that a gay club? Yes. So that was like hate motivated. Yep. Um, right. El Paso, Texas, the Walmart shooting. Um, that was hate motivated. Buffalo just happened. Um, that, we've got yes, Parkland, yeah. Parkland, and Miami. Uh, we've got, uh, there was one in, I believe, Cleveland, where the guy got shot by the police in 30 seconds. Like, the police did an, an, an admirable job in taking this guy down, and it still took, and he still took out nine people in those 30 seconds. Um, Newtown, Connecticut, the where the guy shot first graders. Yeah, that's, those are the ones that, 
the ones that uh, it's 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 tough to draw a line between like somebody just randomly shooting kids and then somebody shooting like at a group. Like I don't know who's crazier actually at that point. Well, and it's also I mean I hate to make this comparison, but there's a difference between like a disgruntled high schooler like shooting his classmates because he's been made fun of and somebody going in and shooting literal first graders. Like what has yeah. a 6-year-old ever done? Yeah, that's well that's that's the thing. It's like you you're wondering like which is worse. You know, like what's what's more if anything preventable? And I think the means to prevention starts at the same yeah. place. Um, there was the one in Detroit at the end, like around like December of last year, where the parents knew, like, bought the kid a gun, and then like found, then they noticed the gun was missing, and they didn't tell the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this one. I remember this one. Uh, and the kid had like all this like crazy drawings and stuff too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the teachers in the school realized that this was a problem, like, and reached out to the parents and said, like, hey, we think you should take your kid out of school and deal with these things. And the parents were like, no, don't take him out of school. Um, so, yeah, so, that's what, so what you're, what you're I'm getting at, at. What you're getting at is the insidious nature of shootings. Is how I, I said I get, I'm going to get to 10. Let me get to 10. So, you got there was, there, yeah, there was a shooting on a, I believe it was an Air Force base in uh, Houston, maybe, where somebody was upset with like the military or whatever and brought a pistol onto the military and shot like 10 people on a military base. Um, and then there was the San Jose shooting, I believe it was like a railway or a rail yard. Um, so there's 10, and I know I'm missing a ton. <laughs> All right, so let's get to where this becomes insidious and why it's insidious. My thinking is that the... Uh, severity or uh, the the not because they're i don't necessarily know the severity of them but the number of them is becoming more frequent and over time as it's becoming more frequent we are less in up in arms about it well for lack of a better phrase uh, but we're, we're it, it's it's becoming less of a shock to us when that when that news hits people so that is that accurate would you explain, yeah, to me why, explain to me why this is insidious? Well, it's the first one was shocking. Columbine was shocking. And then sometime later, another one similar happens. And it's a little bit less shocking because it's not the first time we've seen it. Misty Blue says Fort Hood. Fort and that's Hood the, yeah, that's the one I was referring to. Yeah, um, and yeah, the San Jose shooting, that was to get me to 10. I know I'm missing... And like, I'm not trying to diminish the ones that I've missed. It's just at ten, I got to stop. Yeah. Um... Um, and so, yeah, like, and so as they happened, and the coverage was always the same, and the reaction, the political reaction, was always the same. People gradually learned that, like, having a shock or an outrage to these was exhausting. And you you become numb to it, but I think I think where it where it becomes an issue is that we're not doing anything about it to really counteract it. Well, that's the point of the and Onion article, and that's, is, and that's why yeah, the Onion article is saying hey, every every everybody else has done something about this. We say it's unpreventable, yet take no action. 
And, you know, I feel like, you know, when I'm in my office training real estate salespeople, they're like, oh, you know, I couldn't have done anything. You know, the, the, the client had to leave. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't closed a deal in, in four months. Somebody else is running into the same pool of clients and that's not happening to them. It's not unavoidable. It's just you're not like seeing the signs. You're not taking action. Um, and, uh, you know, similarly, the government needs to take some type of action. The states need to take some type of action. But there is so much pushback about any action at all when it comes to gun control, gun restrictions, gun regulations. So I want really quickly, I want to touch on that. 20 or 30 years ago, there was a mass shooting in Australia. And that, that shooting shocked the country so much that within like a month, they said, we're done with guns. A whole bunch of people that lived in like the outback and rural parts or conservatives in, in Australia were really upset about the gov- government taking their guns. And the government said, yeah, but that happened. Enough is enough. We're, we'll buy your guns from you, but you don't get to have them anymore. Go get some bow and arrows. Like, uh, you, like, I'm sure that it wasn't a blanket ban. I'm sure that like people that live down in the outback that might actually need to like shoot a dangerous animal could get a permit for one. But just the general, the the general ownership of guns. Australia says nope, not anymore, guys, and they haven't had a mass shooting like that since. So it's, I, I'm so, sure that those two events are completely unrelated. The banning were, of all the guns and then less shootings happening. Like, there's no way that those could be possibly connected. <laughs> what do you mean? There's nothing we can do about these shootings, James. There's nothing we can do. I know. You know. One country banned guns and there were no more shooting, but there's there's nothing we could do. Uh, it's the same thing in England. Um, you can't own a gun in England unless you have like a permit for it, and like those permits are very, very hard to get. Very specialized permitting process. The police and don't even carry guns. Like, a, a, like an average patrolman, like walking around in London, is not carrying a gun. Like the police will have guns when they need them, but it's not something that they just have on their hip at all times. Um. Mm, all right. So look. So you were telling me this joke before we got cut off because we had to go on air. We uh, we we hit our deadline for being late, and you're telling <laughs> me this joke. Uh, I'll I'll let you go ahead and repeat it so you can just get it out now that it's yeah. once rehearsed. Yeah. Since we're talking better, about Australia, and better America, come out smooth. Yeah. Yeah. So the joke goes: the Europeans will ask, "Why did America get the Puritans, and why did Australia get the convicts?" The answer is. Because the Europeans wanted the, the Puritans out first. <laughs> um, and that is the thing about the Puritans. And these are people that a lot, you know, I think in a lot of cases, especially on the religious extremes, a lot of these people can't get out of their own way and um, just do these kind of crazy arbitrary things that don't make any sense, along with these crazy abortion laws. Like these well, are the I guys think, that are leading. I think the that. difference is like, I don't think the Puritans would have been so grating to the Europeans or Americans now if they if they weren't minded setting their own policy. Business. Yeah, if, if they weren't it, setting policy. Like, you yeah. can do what you want in that corner. We don't care. Yeah, but stop telling us what to do. And that's why I said, yeah, when they're writing policy, and, and that's, that's where we have this abortion policy, uh, that's the root of it, is, mm-hmm. is this religious extreme. Now, they're they're playing, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at constitutional law and saying, hey, you know, uh, and this is what I kind of deduced with the 
episode we just recently did about abortion, that they're not saying abortion should be illegal because it's you know God doesn't want abortion. They're saying abortion should should not be allowed based on the Fourteenth Amendment and the penumbras. That doesn't that doesn't hold up. Uh, so you know if if you want to make abortions and pro-choice legal, you need to have a better avenue. But we're we're getting rid of Roe versus Wade because the penumbra well, argument doesn't make sense. Yeah, but the but that was their that was what they were they're they're, try, they're they're choosing to throw out precedent because of a moral position that they hold that the majority of Americans don't. Sure, but the the angle that the, all I'm saying is they have a reason. Their yeah, reason but... is is constitutionally we we disagree. Now it might be rooted in religious extremism. Yeah, what, but you have to remember that in a lot of ways. The people that are in the Supreme Court, the, the, none of them are stupid. So actually, and so they, they can find if they if there's something they want to allow or something that they want to disallow, they'll be able to come up with a reason. I think I'm going to get shit on quite a bit, but I think you and I are probably on the same page about where the with the actual uh, title of this episode, Insidious, and where the Supreme Court is right now. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Slow, slow change over time, but but it sped up. You know, when there was a hole over the last six years, mm-hmm. and and it, it was just the thing about it, something being insidious. And you know, when we talk about global warming uh, in a few minutes, we we can get there. But it's a gradual change, and then until you get to a certain point, and then it's too late. You get to a certain point, and you know, if something's going to happen. Uh, over what, so many times over whatever course of time, but when well, it hasn't happened and the opportunity arises, it's there, going. There's to two ways that you kind of ch- that you realize that something has happened because, like, Insidious is the the whole idea of it is that yeah, you're not going to notice the change in the moment, but so one of two things is usually what makes you realize what's going on, and the first is when you kind of take a step back and like get out of the environment that you're in and look at it and say, wow, 20 years ago it was this. Now it's this. How did how did that happen? And then you can look and be like, it was really slow and gradual. I didn't even realize it was happening, but here we are now. So it's kind of the that momentary de- detachment that you have and you look and say, wow. The other one is when you have that slow, gradual change that allows for these extreme events to happen where what before those extreme events couldn't have happened because they were outside the range of probabilities of this of the environment and then as the environment slowly changes now what's on the very extreme end what used to be on the extreme end is now farther out and and then you have this big explosive event that is a result of all of this change and then everyone's like, wow, how did we get here? How could things have gotten so bad well, that this so, could happen? So it, it let's let's def- let's talk about the Overton window, and I'll let you define that. And and we, we will call that window the, where the overlap for the allowance of Trump uh, came into play. Yeah. Um, so the Overton window is a political science term that defines the range of political values that are deemed acceptable to hold in a given political system. So you could you could look at something like 
um, gay marriage and like the Overton window of gay marriage. So I before the the cast, I looked up polling stats on this, and in two thousand four, there was thirty percent support and sixty five percent opposition to people having to to gay people being able to legally marry. In the most recent poll, it was sixty five percent support and twenty percent oppose. And so over those twenty years, like the Overton window of what's an acceptable belief to have shifted where yeah, it's still like in in our political landscape right now unfortunately it's still acceptable to say that gay people shouldn't get married but the overton window has shifted so that they are now in the minority so so on on this uh, anybody that's listening to us either live or or after the fact you should google overton window and look at the images and it, it's a it's a great visual representation of where an idea falls in the political spectrum and that it's acceptableness. So, uh, yeah, I think gay marriage is a, is a, is a really good one um, because that has shifted over the political spectrum. Whereas people who are on the far right were complete people on the right at all. The total right was against it. And now the majority are for it on both sides of the spectrum. Um, here's another good one. Opinions on Vladimir Putin. Oh, everybody liked Vladimir Putin for a long time. Everybody uh, was like, oh, he's a... Uh, uh, my understanding, in, in my recent memories, everybody said, oh, you know, he's a strong guy. He's a leader of a country. He's, he's on the horse. He's, uh, he's, he's got a shirt off. You know, he's, he's a president. He's in good shape. I think he, it started that way. Country. Yeah, but, but it slid. And then it slid when they realized that he was, like, killing journalists and dissidents and everything and, and bringing the country further and further away from kind of, like, Western liberal li liberal democracy. And so he kind of became an enemy of the country for a while, and then Trump started praising him, and then, like, certain it, it, it became more acceptable in this country to be to be approving of Putin because Trump was now all of a sudden saying <clears throat> so the overton window started somewhere shifted as people saw it and then Trump shifted it back I uh, I missed uh, Shahira Rabba said there was a good documentary on him the other day uh, I missed uh, the overton window my phone is literally about a thousand degrees right now and just shut off so that's interesting we'll see We'll see how that affects our live here. <laughs> um, it just says temperature. The phone uh, needs to cool off uh, before you can use it. Wow, wild. Um, so I missed where Putin became acceptable. I missed where I wasn't, I think probably because I was much more exposed to the left and the left was saying that Russia is in control of the elections and influencing the elections and Putin is behind this. Whereas I guess if you were pro-Trump at that time, you would have had a different perspective. So you would have been maybe at that time, if you were pro-Trump, been like, oh, no, they're full of shit. Don't believe this Russia stuff. What yeah, you I'm looking up. So this is not directly on Putin, but it's as good as I'm going to do. So um, an opinion poll run by Gallup, and I've got 10 years of data on this. So 2010, favorable versus unfavorable. So 2010... 47 to 45 2011 51 to 42 2012 50 to 44 let's go to 2015 24 to 70 so that was right after they invaded crimea 
and it's now it, it, at 20 in 2020 it was 28 to 72 but and it was pretty much between like 25 and 30 percent favorable between 2017 and 2020 so that doesn't support my conclusion that he got more popular under trump well he i think he probably became more popular to a certain number of people but uh, simultaneously less popular to the opposite side of the spectrum so he did grow in popularity but at a cost of popularity from the other side so i i see what you were thinking but i think what you were discounting where he dropped in popularity yeah um and it's one of those i think what you need to do is you need to look at um segregate the data by people that identify as democrats or republicans because the democrats are going to be pretty level throughout and the Republicans are going to go up and down. No, no, no. But then it wouldn't stay the same. I think I think the Democrats would have become much more disapproving at the same time the Republicans became more approving. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So let's let's on that note, why don't we actually talk about, when we're talking about the Overton window, talk about authoritative government and where we stand right now. Because I think... You and I think that uh, the U.S. population is more open to authoritative governments now than ever. I think am I, so. Am I correct on that? I think we actually have different opinions on this, but I think ultimately our, we've concluded the same thing. Yeah, I think we're going to get to a similar conclusion through very different ways. <laughs> so, so you share yours first. Uh, well, because I, we'll I saw an article today about... Um, DeSantis in Florida passing a law banning political protests outside of a personal residence. Now, one of those problems would be, let's just say that they say 100 yards, right? I'm just making up a number. I don't know what it actually is. But let's say it's within 100 yards of a, a personal residence or 200 yards. Well, you could, you could basically use that law to ban all political protests because chances are there's a personal residence close enough to your protest that you could say that it's outside of a personal what residence. What was the distance? I don't know. I need to look it up. Okay. But, but, but yeah, like, I, there's going to be some distance, whatever that number is. It doesn't matter. But whatever that distance is, chances are that there's part of that protest that is within a private residence, but maybe not the private residence that they're protesting. But yeah. you could, if you wanted to ban a political protest, you can be like, yeah, there's a private residence just down the street. You can't do this. Like, so, even if you're protesting at like a company or at like a, a corporation that you dislike or outside the state house of, a, of like Florida, chances are there's a personal residence close enough to the state house that you could say, well, there's a personal residence here. You can't protest. I mean, you would, on the service, and I, this is interesting because on the service, like the thing is, if you're a politician, and the way the government is right now, any calls that you're going to make, there's going to be some controversy. So you, there's there's a good potential to always have uh, people protesting right outside. So I'm curious. Like I, I I think that that law is saying, hey, you know, we can't have our elected officials live being terrorized 24/7. I think that would be the surface level. Uh, That's the justification there. for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I, it's hard for me to take that argument in good faith because – and now I, this is not specifically Florida, but like the Supreme Court ruled 
it, it actually, or, or like states have not have refused to pass laws um, preventing protests outside of abortion clinics. So if you if you go to an abortion clinic, like you'll see protesters there pretty often. So imagine if you're going in to just get like some birth control or an STD test or something. Or, or, yeah, or, or it's like a Planned Parenthood. You're not going for pregnancy or abortion. You're just going because you need subsidized, uh, you know, female health care. Yeah. For and, and, and imagine as you're walking in, you have people like calling you a murderer and like being in your face, like this far away, shouting at you about how terrible of a person you are. And like number of states have said, that's protected Scream, speech. Screaming at you, pounding on your car windows. This is this is real stuff. I've, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember living in South Carolina, and there would be people walking up and down the intersections with ba- bloody babies in nooses and in cradles full of uh, carriages full of blood, like out of a horror movie. And then the cars that would pull in, they would pound on the window, surround the cars. It was insane. I remember. I don't remember exactly where the place was located, but I know it was. It was in the side of the town that we lived in, and, and the people went. Yeah, it's on Rittenberg. Months. Not Rittenberg. Yeah. It's on 61 um, on the other side of Rittenberg, between Rittenberg and downtown. So I got to Kind of across the street from home team. I got to grab my uh, my beer that I stuck in the freezer here right before we got started. But let's, let's – I want – tell me well, why – and I'm, so, I'm going to be so in So while your you're track, grabbing your beer, I'm going to say why perfect. this kind of protest law perfect. is really hard for me to take because – they they have failed to protect people from getting protested when they go to a planned parenthood yet they want to protect politicians who make these laws from protesting when they're directly responsible for these kinds of things like so in Maine Susan Collins selectively protecting yeah so Susan Collins a whole bunch of protesters wrote in a, um on on the sidewalk outside of her house like Protect women's health past the WHPA, or something like that, in chalk. And Susan Collins like called the police and said that like people were like vandalizing her property. And it was chalk that like if you just spray a hose, it goes away. And yeah. it wasn't there was nothing violent about it. It was just like we're upset with you for voting for a justice that's going to overturn women's rights. So you can write this by passing a law. All right, but and tell me- like that kind of so that we're kind all- of protest. We're off topic, though, a little bit, because well, we're talking about authoritative governments. Yeah, and, but and how did is, we get here? Okay, sure, but but where? Are, wh- tell me why you think the the governments are more authoritative. Well, I think that I, I'm going to blame this one on Trump, where Trump constantly pushed boundaries as to what was acceptable by a government, and eventually you get tired of being shocked by the terrible suggestions and ideas that he has that now these ideas start to seem a little bit more normal. He's shifting the Overton window of what authoritarian government is acceptable. And even if everything he says you reject, the fact that you're constantly having to do work to reject it is going to numb you to what he's actually doing. Well, but, but and this was less Trump, though. Uh, and much more push from the liberal end. But, I, you know, when I think of authoritative governments, I think of my business being ordered to be shut down. I think of having to wear a mask everywhere that you go. I think vaccine mandates uh, that I don't 
necessarily agree with the vaccine. Now, there's some vaccine mandates that I do agree with, but I think this, you know, this is a pretty controversial one. I don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a little, still a little early to speak on it, but I, it feels, and we have many other vaccine mandates, don't get me wrong. So that's why it's, it's a controversial place to be, but we have another one that's being shoved down our throat. It's not for HPV or, you know, something else that, that smallpox or something. It's, it's for something closer to the flu. Um, and, and I think that the people are actually demanding this stuff. The people are saying, whoa, wait a second. We're, this is our third summer into this. You can't let go of the mask mandates. We want the mask mandates. We want schools to be closed. You, you know, you can't, you can't open the schools. You need to, and, and I think that people are craving this authoritative uh, role in government. And, and that's something that I don't necessarily like. I think it should be much more local, a lot of these things. Uh, you know, just... Well, what if it were local governments instead of the federal government making these decisions? Would you still have a problem with it? I I would have a problem with it, a hundred percent. Because I'm pretty I sure that pay... New York City had a whole bunch of like special things. That way, yeah, New York City had way more mandates than the rest of the country. Um, but I wouldn't feel like it was coming from the top. So we're demanding it from the federal government, and a lot of it is our media demanding it, and a poly policy being set because the media wanted to blow this out of proportion to make Trump look especially bad, which he looked very bad to begin with, but they they did a great job at that, but they just kept it running because they they had built up the momentum and they didn't know what to do with it. And I, I just feel like there are people craving to hear more news about coronavirus and still craving these shutdowns. And I, I just, what you're saying is that we've seen this insidious aspect of authoritative governments and I think where the Overton window stands on that right now is that the people want that from from their side only. But I, I do think agree. that they but they want on both sides. Yeah, that, that, but they just want their own authority, you know, authoritativeness, right? Their own yeah. authority kind of bearing down on on the other side, and that's mm -hmm. that's what I you know what I think is really weird that we would be wanting more laws around everything. Well, and, yeah, and, and, less, so, and less judgment. It, it, that's that's my point. Even if you put it on the local level, a lot of people are still going to be screwed. Where I where I am and where I work in New York and New Jersey, I would also be screwed. But it wouldn't feel like so authoritative because it's not coming from the very top. Well, and, and you'd be more able to affect what's going on at the local level because it's easier for you to go to a city council meeting than a Senate hearing. hundred, Yeah, really, really good point. Um, um, I, I guess the only, the, the liberal response that I can come up with in terms of like the authoritative government and when it's okay for the government to mandate things is what is the reason you're doing it? What is the goal you're seeking to achieve? And you can, and so I'll compare like a vaccine mandate versus the ban on, on protesting at, at like personal residences. So the vaccine mandate was designed to save lives. Whereas the protest, like the protest law that DeSantis signed in, it was to prevent political protest and to prevent like politicians from having to deal with the consequences of their actions. It so was, it was to protect. It was to protect a small minority. Mm -hmm. So that he that he that he occupied. All right. So moving on, because the other thing that I was thinking about while I was lying in bed thinking about the word insidious was 
and I'm, I'm, this is certainly true of me. If you ask people, do you like change? Probably most people are going to say no. And if you were to say, what kind of change do you dislike the most? They would say sudden change. Or something Which like is, that, right? There's not quite what in is. No, no, no. But I want to like, I want to talk about like when you think about people fearing change, they fear about they fear some kind of sudden disruptive event, right? Fair enough. I think I think that general polling would agree with that. Yeah, and I can't see why not. So I'll follow you here. I'm following you. I'm I'm curious well, where you're going with this. So. I'm thinking about like a sudden disruptive event, and then I think about what are what are the consequences of that sudden disruptive event? Is like you get through it, and then you're probably okay, right? So what about like a nine eleven? Well, does this I mean, qualify? It, it, no, it certainly does. Um, and I would say like if you were directly affected by it, like if you were in the towers or you were in the neighborhood where that happened, like then like the change that you went through is different than the change that 99% of the country went through. But you so, think that's the type of f f fear of change that people have? No, that's not fear of change. That's fear of disaster, and that's different. Okay. Because like, if you're on an airplane and you're afraid of it crashing into the ocean, like technically that's a change, but that's a fear of disaster. Yeah, but, no. Uh, but so, give me an example of of a. If you ask somebody what type of change you're afraid of most. They're well, going to say sudden change. Yeah, yeah. Um, think about. I mean, they're certainly not going to talk about long term change. No, they, nobody they will ever say that they're afraid part. of long term change. Yeah. But like, long term change is like the permanent kind that is really hard to reverse and undo. And if you don't realize that you're changing towards something bad then like you can end up in a in a terrible place like look at global warming well so the global warming is exactly what i was going to say um but can we pause on global warming can you give me an example of a sudden change when you're asking somebody what is some change that you might be afraid of and they're going to say well you know uh, or, you know what do you what type what type of change do you fear and they say sudden change i'm just curious what would be an example of that because i can't really I, I, I can think of a few like um, mask mandates. So anything COVID related where like now the business is shutting down. That's different because like now you can't make money that you could have made before. But I'll say having to wear a mask while you're in the stores or having to ma wear a mask while you're on the airplane. People got really upset about that. Well, one. The, and that think, was a sudden change. I of, think the now, issue, before we never wore masks. Now we do. The issue with that is that masks on planes the the majority I, well i don't know like i'm going to say half of the people that fought back about it fought back with some logic and the other people just fought back because they didn't like change now i thought it was dumb because i rode on several planes took several flights several trips and people have their masks off half the time the majority of the people have the mask underneath their nose it's it's dumb as shit and that's then an and enforcement then you, issue and then, yeah but then you think. look at then you look at the guy with the big beard I mean, I know a thing or two about masks when it comes to like lead paint or when it comes to working around uh, in dangerous places. I wouldn't. I would wear a real mask, right? And I would wear a mask that actually works. But the masks that we're wearing and the way that we're, it's just not. It's not feasible that everybody is wearing a mask correctly and the masks they are wearing are doing anything. So you just um, have a bunch of people that look like 
look like idiots. They're in, they're riding motorcycles with yarmulkes on instead of motorcycle helmets on. They said so you have to have a head covering. Oh, I got a comment that I wanted I want to throw out there in terms of like sudden change versus gradual change. So right. sudden change would be you lose your job. So think about like in 2008 when like the economy just completely crashed and a whole bunch of people lost their job even though like they were a good worker, but like the economy but this just, is like, a, yeah, that's so a that was sudden example. change. And so a gradual change if we're going to stay on topic would be like wage stagnation as inflation gets worse. So if wages don't go up, but things start costing more, that's gradual change that you're not really going to notice day to day like you would, I had a job, now I don't. But over time, you're going to be like, I can't afford anything. And, and What happened? And, yeah. I was thinking along, I was going to, the example for short term I was going to use is like death of a loved one, but you have a good one. Uh, so, so look, so, so let's talk about uh, global warming real quick and how it is and has become insidious. I'll let you lead. This was this was your this was your one here. Well, yeah. So the thing with global warming is that if you look at like individual years, like the change of like one year being warmer than the next, or like the next year being slightly cooler than the previous year, is that like there's always going to be fluctuations in the weather and the global average temperature for a variety of complex factors, and so when you look at like a one to three year time span you might look and be like, ah, nothing's really happening. Like, we're all within just kind of the random jitters of weather. And so it's very easy when you're looking at timescales like that to say, we're fine. But when you pull back a little bit and you look at the actual trends and you can see the graph of CO2 parts per million just constantly going when you, up. When you look at all of the data over a large enough scale, it becomes very clear that climate change is real and we then we can look at each of those data points and we can say well you know this is being caused by this and this is being caused by this you look at the coral reef you look at the fish population you look at um the uh ice caps you look at ocean temperatures uh you look at ocean levels you look at the deserts and the rainforests and you look at uh uh Carbon, uh, carbon fuel. concentration in, yeah. the, in the ocean. No, no, no. I was, thinking, I was thinking of no. I was thinking of fossil fuel, fossil fuel oh. use. Yeah. Okay. And then and then carbon emissions related to fossil fuels. I just started with yeah, carbon yeah, yeah. And, I, and then you can look at some of the effects, and you can see like more hurricanes, more droughts, more floods. You can so look the, at Seattle being 123 degrees last summer. Well, the cool, which is insane. The cool one that we talked about actually was how you have it well uh, let's we'll lead with seattle which is rel usually a place that's on the cooler side has crazy heat and then you take a place like texas which is usually on the hotter more arid side and then you have snow in texas and you say well how can global warming exist and then we actually look at what is it the the uh airstream what uh, well you've got the jet stream and jet then stream. the jet well, stream well so what happened with like the the big winter storm in texas is you've got this boundary layer between this polar the cold polar air in the winter and like the warm tropical air which is and, for most people what, what a good way to think about that is there is a, a basically a wall of pressure between the two yeah and oftentimes the jet stream is kind of like marks where that is because you've got these two boundaries interacting and it causes wind and that's the jet stream and so like as the earth gets warmer 
then the polar regions get warmer, and that differential between the cold and warm air becomes less pronounced. And so when they're yeah. closer together in temperature, you can have a higher, like any small instability might be able to, was going to create a greater change. And so if you have a greater change in the jet stream, if the jet stream is weaker, then like that it doesn't take as break. much to push, yeah. yeah, to push that wall. And so if you have the jet stream kind of collapse and what like meteorologists love calling, like they love this term, the polar vortex, like you can have that cold air kind of breach containment and collapse down to much farther south than it normally would be. So yes, is it like for people to say, well, global warming can't be real if we're having these massive snowstorms in Texas. Like, no, that, like that's actually a consequence of it is just because you have a cold day from here to here and then like doesn't mean that things aren't getting warmer. The fact that things are getting warmer everywhere is causing greater variability. Yeah, it's and just funny that you think would about pick like one twenty years ago how cold the winters were in upstate New York, and like I look at the yeah. weather in New York now in the winter, and like the num the number of consecutive days that they have below freezing. I remember we could go like a month and a half sometimes, and it wouldn't get above thirty. Yeah, and now when yeah. I watch, now when I look at the weather forecast, I see it'll be like cold for a week, and then it'll hit like fifty for three days cold, in January. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's wild. It's, and like, that it's just really... that didn't happen before. Yeah. Um, where let's let's take a move here because we got about fifteen minutes left. We got we got a couple other things we want to talk about when it comes to insidious, and I think these are a bit lighter and and further away from authoritative government and mass shootings and global warming, but also really really important. And we got a couple on the list here. We have um, we I think we touched on abortion law, but then we have the car industry. And we have technology's role in everyday life, and we have personal health. I think we should lead with personal health. Fire away. Well, I th what, you, what you said right before we came on air, you said, hey, you know, I, I, the thing is, you know, I've been taking a little bit more of an easy lately. And it's, it's funny how these minor changes that I've been making over time can really add up. And then I go out and I go to do a run, and my, my mile time is like three minutes behind my regular mile time. And, well, what yeah. used to be my regular mile time. Well, exactly. So I felt the the same way. Actually, I you know I I've gone a really easy the last few years. Uh, I hurt myself really bad in the beginning of coronavirus because I just started. I, I had all this free time, hours and hours and hours more free time than I've ever had, and I I always crammed almost one workout a day, almost almost a workout every single day, and then many days two workouts a day. And then coronavirus happens, and I've been slacking off a little before that, uh, you know, just kind of new relationship things where you spend your free time together rather than it being 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I got nothing else to do. Now it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, oh, I think I'll have some ice cream. Let's watch a movie. But then coronavirus happened. I had all this extra free time, and I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to do like eight miles this morning, and then I'll go to work because I'll go in late. I get, no, nobody's coming in anyways. Um and I, I really injured my foot. So over the last couple of years, I've I've just taken an easy quite a bit when it's come to exercise because I've been afraid to injure myself. And now I've, I've been doing a decent amount of running uh, lately, you know, pretty regularly, like three and four mile runs. I did a, like five and a half miles on, on Saturday, but I am a hell of a lot slower. My my just everything, form, stride, pace, 
everything about it. My breathing is off. Um, but that was, you know, that for me was super slow. So I'm curious about, about what you're thinking when it comes to health and exercise. Well, so your you example... also started talking about smoking. Well, that yeah, uh, I've got I guess three three places to go. One is the exercise thing, where like if you take your foot off the gas, like even just a little bit, then it gets easier to take your foot off the gas even more. Yeah, and then then you get back into it and say, oh, man, like you, you kind of look at yourself and like, oh, all right, I guess I got to go back to the gym. And so then you go back to the gym and you try and do the workouts that you used to be able to do when you were in shape. And you either hurt yourself or you're just like, or you're just exhausted. And like, so if I were to go out and try, I used to be able to run a 5K in about 20 minutes flat. If I were to try and run that same pace today, Instead of doing 3.1 miles, I would be somewhere between probably a half and a three-quarter mile. That's yeah. That's I don't think I'd make it a full mile either at, at that pace anymore. I just I would die. I would. Yeah, uh, but I, why is that? Well, when I was able to run a 20-minute 5K, I was doing almost 300 soccer games a year, and I was running on the nights that I didn't have soccer games. So I was running probably five or six nights a week. I would take like one day off as a recovery day. But, like, if I was doing soccer games, if I had soccer games on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'd be out for, like, four or five hours. And, like, I'd be running most of that time. And now, instead of doing 300 soccer games in a year, I might do 20 or 30. And yeah, and, and how often are you going on these runs? Once or twice a week. Yeah, yeah, similar here. Similar and, here. And, and so, yeah, if I were to run a 5K right now, instead of doing it in 20 minutes, I'd be happy with a 26. Oh, dude, I'd be happy about 26 right now, too, which is not, which is slower than the eight-minute mile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's that's not that's not great. Um, but that's that's what happened. So, yeah, I'm uh, not even sure I could do a 26 right now. I bet, I, I actually, I think if you were to say, like, all right, race, pace, go, 26, I could probably get it, get it. But it wouldn't be easy. Whereas, like, before, I could probably have run a 26 backwards. <laughs> yeah, I used to actually run backwards. I think we used to do a mile backwards after our, are, uh, are running, which is just insane. I don't know. We had this crazy running coach. I took this high school summer running camp two years in a row, and he would make us – we'd go out for these long-ass runs, and then and the cool down afterwards would be like a mile that you ran backwards. Yeah. So, like, uh, and so, yeah, that, so that's one. And, like, kind of related to that is weight, where, like, you gain a little bit of weight, and you say, oh, all right, it's barely noticeable. And then, like – over like a year or two, you just keep on gaining a little bit of weight. Every month you gain two or three pounds. And then it's 24 months later and you weigh 50 pounds more. Yeah, it's, yeah, weight gain is definitely, uh, it's a great, <laughs> it's a crazy one. Cause I remember being in like, you know, uh, I've gotten myself in, in some really good shape. And I remember at different points being in shape, being like, I'm never going to let myself fall past this line of, of fitness. I'm never going to fall on the other side, the out of shape line of this level. And, uh, and then it's just, you know, very slowly, you don't even notice it. And then one day you look down and you are, you are nowhere near that line. So, yeah. And yeah. the last one, and Rosh says relationships make you let go. And very often that's the case. Yeah. Some, some relationships may not. Uh, sometimes people yeah, get you, like, if you're in a relationship where it's based on fitness, where you're both super fit or whatever, then yeah, you're going to be encouraging each other, but that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Very true. Um, uh, so the last one is addiction. 
So, mm -hmm. like, I'll use smoking as an example, but it can apply to any drug, really. Where, like, smoking, it can start as simple as, like, you go out drinking one night, and it's towards the end of the night, and you're drunk, and your friend hands you a cigarette, and you decide to try it. And then, like... And the next time you go it, out, you're like, let's go smoke a cigarette. Yeah, and, and maybe you have two cigarettes. And then, like, maybe you have a cigarette before you're even really drunk and you had three cigarettes that night and like every single time you go out and then like one time you decide to have a cigarette when you're not well, out well you got that leftover pack of cigarettes from yeah. the you know because you bought them so you got to hang on to them at the end of that night and uh they're in your car you know i've i've uh i had some cigarettes left over in my car it's a few years ago and decided like hey i'll smoke a little cigarette and then i was like no nah, I, don't, I don't really like this uh i don't really like this uh smoking in the car thing it's very I don't like smoking that much, so no Yeah, thing. but, uh, like, yeah, then, like, one time you're not out and you're sober and it's just, like, the middle of the day and you're like, oh, I, I could go for a cigarette and you have a cigarette. And then you're at, and then, like, you're at work and, like, you take a smoke break or you have a cigarette while you're at lunch. And then, what? like, over time, now you're smoking a pack a day. And, like, ha did it start at a pack a day? No, it started at, like, a pack a year. Yeah, yeah, really, really wild. Um, but you don't realize that you're slipping further and further away. And then, as I said before, like you take a step back and you look at what you were and what you are, and you say, "I can't believe I got there." But it's also really difficult to turn that around. That's the toughest part about about these things, and, and uh, something that's insidious is that at a certain point, it almost it becomes impossible to shift the momentum back in the opposite direction. And when you're smoking a pack a day, it you want to be, you want to kind of quit cold turkey, but almost no one can do that. So, you know, your your vision in your mind is cold turkey, but every time you try to even get halfway there, it's such an impossible feat that you can't do it. Just like, just like getting out of shape. Like you want to go out and you want to run a, a seven minute mile or a five thirty mile. Or, you know, if if your peak mile was five thirty. And now you're running nines, and you're like, I would settle for a seven thirty, um, but you can't, you can't break the eight. And then afterwards, you injure yourself, or you got to take a week or so off. And then the next run, you go out, it's even slower. You're just like, what am I even doing out here? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really. Instead, to get down to that five thirty, it took you four years of regular mm -hmm. running. So you know, it's, it's, um, it's tough once you once you cross that line. And I think. The idea of having this conversation is to be able to kind of recognize some of these things and figure out what you want in your life. And then also, you know, there's some things that you have no control over, like global warming, which you have minimal control over. But it starts with having conversations. And uh, I mean, there's not there's only so much you can do about some of these bigger things. I think in general, they started putting global warming and these types of things on ballots. Well, actually, I don't know if that would be better, better or worse. Um, can we talk about uh, should we talk about cars or should we talk about technology because they kind of go hand in hand? Well, I would talk about cars in terms of like the amount of technology that's in them today and well, trying to work on like a 2021 or 2022 model year car. Like if you're a home mechanic and even if you're knowledgeable and have skills and tools and everything, you're going to struggle to be able to do a lot of basic repairs on your 2022 car. So we ha so we have a 2021, a 2012, and a 2006. 
Uh, and the motorcycle is 2020. I have never touched the motorcycle. I've never done any motorcycle mechanics, and everything is out there. Motorcycle is so easy. Uh, I just never had the the necessity for it. But I can tell you one thing: you pop open that 2012. Every every part of the engine has a cover that needs to be unbolted just to access what's below, and everything has electronics on it. The 2006, on the other hand. Um, much more easy to access, a lot less electronics. And then the 2020 vehicle that we have, I couldn't even tell you where the engine was. I had no <laughs> you open the hood and there's no engine there. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like you, and you, you look at it in terms of like original engines were purely mechanical. There was no electronics in it besides the wires to the spark plugs. But like those wires, like the, the timing of those wires was con uh, w when the spark plugs w would um, trigger was driven mechanically by a camshaft that would spin and like send off a signal to the spark plug. And mm -hmm. how did the air and the, the fuel get there? A carburetor that's purely mechanical, where like it's just a chamber for the, the gas and fuel to mix that's controlled by like different pistons. And then fuel injection happened, where you could have the fuel directly inject, like, you could, yeah, you could have actual fuel injectors instead of just like a, a tube sending gas to the valves. And like then you could have con computer controlled fuel injection, and even that wasn't too complicated. And you just got reprimanded yeah. uh, for for talking about too much mechanics. We're gonna lose the lady audience. But it, but, but it's just like but well, and then that, like you had ECUs where you could have like the like programs and engine well, mappings for how me, like the timing ask, and everything went. Let me here's the issue. Let me ask you, ladies. You like doing work on your own car. You change your own brakes. You change the oil. You even pump your own gas. And, if and, you live in and, New Jersey, you can't. And and uh, the thing is, I'm not just talking to ladies because the guys are answering this, those questions in their head, saying, "I I don't do that either. What do you change my brakes? I don't check. I lease the car. Never have to change the brakes. Well, well, you know. Look, here's yeah. the issue: is I that lease the car? I don't even have to change the oil. Yeah, lease <laughs> the car. So that's the thing that the lease to own. I uh, hear hear me out on this one. Not related really to the topic, but. Um, I know a few people that are leasing cars, and, and they're saying now that you only have to change the oil on new cars. So you used to have to change the oil every 3,000 to 5,000 miles. 5,000 for, like, uh, European cars and all American cars, you had to change every 3,000. Now they're saying you don't have to change the oil for ten to 12,000 miles. Now, let's, I know, I know that's, with a brand that's new That's development car, in synthetic oils. Well, that might actually be true. It may actually be true, but here's what I'm thinking. One, you should still be changing it uh, you know, a thousand miles or so into owning a car because you have a new engine and you want to get all those little pieces of metal out of the oil filter, you know, out of the... Uh, yeah, during the, the break-in period, you really want to change your oil after like a thousand miles. Yeah, I would say 500. I always thought it was 500, but... Close um, enough. So what, what I feel, though, is that because they want you to own the car for 50, so they want to sell it to you after the lease, but that they don't want you to keep it for 10 years. What they want to happen is for that car to break down three to five years after you buy it off of lease. So you have to buy another so one. So you have to buy another car because the cost to repair these cars, I mean, you it, I don't. I'm. I'm embarrassed to share how much money I spent getting uh, this car worked on after I got it. Now I'm doing everything on my own, and it's still expensive. 
but I spent a ton of money at this garage for them to do stuff because the labor rates are very high, especially now. I'm sure they've gone up every mechanic shop uh, in the country over the last year. Uh, and uh, it's just a lot, it's a lot more work. And the, and mechanics don't, can't just be kind of grease balls with a high school degree that, that, you know, had to make it through some vocational school. These have to be really intelligent people. Not, I, I mean, I always well, had a lot of respect for mechanics, but I knew they didn't know calculus. Now these guys have to have a physics background. They like have an to, electrical engineering background. They have to have it. Yeah, they have to have these much more complex backgrounds than they ever yeah. had before. Like the yeah the the kind of blue collar mechanic that just understood how cars worked and could fix any car, like those guys just can't exist anymore. Well, that basic understanding of things, you have to have almost a coding degree. Let's pause one second while we drop the Instagram live stream. Instagram, thank you guys for joining us live tonight. We're going to drop it in uh, about four seconds. So if you guys want to watch us, you can continue to watch us. Oh, here's our cue music. You can continue to watch us on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Twitter, or Twitch. Uh, but we are out when it comes to Instagram. Adios. All right. Instagram is now offline. Uh, all right. Sorry. Where were you going there? Well, the, the barriers to entry to becoming a mechanic today are so much higher than they used to be. And I, I think that, like, the people, like, if you think about, like, an 80s mechanic or whatever and, like, how you could get into it, like, yeah, you could go to, like, a vocational school and, like, I think the best mechanics would still have to be very smart because oh, you have to, <clears throat> you, you still need to have these critical thinking skills of this car's doing these things, what could it possibly be? And, like, but... I have a you lot of respect. To... I, I have a lot of respect for mechanics because I, I like the way most of their brains work. Um, but you could get into mechanics, you know, at a very rudimentary level, being able to turn a screwdriver. Um, you wouldn't be a very good mechanic, and you probably wouldn't last. You'd probably get fired if you weren't any good at it. But, but you, you know. But, but if now, you had the ability to learn, like, you could start off with super basic stuff and build up from there. Whereas now, like, there are so many things in cars that, like, you you, you just need, like, bespoke factory tools that only the dealership is even able to buy dude finding tools for this for this german car it it's nearly impossible just it's uh and it's not an uncommon car it's an audi you know it's not yeah. like uh the car right, i had before like, this, yeah. so how did we get here through slow incremental change that was hardly noticeable at the time um, well now and, all like, vehicles I, are going to be fully electric so yeah well, and I was talking to you about like the whole like auto auto engine cut off at intersections and some. I and hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Have you driven a car that does that? The the twenty twenty uh, the Q five that we have shuts off at intersections, and it's not a hybrid, so it doesn't start. Uh, so what happens is, especially with with some of these cars, is they uh, they turn off, but then when you hit the gas, if the light turns green, you hit the gas. The electric motor will propel you while the uh, the actual car engine is starting. So that's uh, not terrible. That's not terrible, but it's it's just weird because you shift. They accelerate at different levels, but these new ones, when you take your foot off the brake, they start. So any any time like the engine is starting and stopping on me, that would drive me bonkers. It's, because it's, if like if I'm driving a car and like the engine shuts off on me, I'm like, uh oh. 
Well, you know, <laughs> because like for the longest time, if you're driving along and your engine stops moving, that's a problem. When you put it in park, almost always it shuts off. And here's the thing: is I don't ever know when the car is off. Off. So you have to like look at the gauges and gauge whether or not the engine's off, but the car's ready, or the engine's on and the car's ready, or the engine's off and the car's off. There's like all these different scenarios. And I don't know because I pull I, I pull into a store, pull into the parking lot, and then uh, I don't know. I don't. And sometimes I turn the I go to get out of the car. I'm like, oh, the car's still on. Let me turn it off. And by accident, I turn the car on. That actually happens all, like every other day. Like, so I just. I don't understand why we need to have these things. Well, the, the, l- let me tell you something. The car turning on and turning off uh, at at intersections and at stop signs, I don't think that is saving any fossil fuels, really. Uh, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I'm, I'm all for, uh, you know, hybrid cars and all electric cars, because I think that's kind of where we have to go. But... Everything being the fact that you have a digital readout speedometer and that's tied to nothing that's actually mechanical, that I think is is a little strange. I would I, I'd like to have a lot of these things like your steering. There's no rack and pinion steering anymore. Uh, it's almost oh, in like terms of like no physical connection between the steering wheel and the steering linkage, whether it's rack and pinion or like well, I don't remember what the other kind is. Rack and pinion's not used very often, even not like anymore. with cars with physical steering linkages. Like yeah. rack and pinion isn't a thing. I like I like rack and pinion actually. So it's really really cool to drive. Uh, yeah, but not many cars even even when even, every even steering day, linkage yeah. was physical. Even back then, rack and pinion wasn't very common. Yeah, that that is true, um, but but yeah, we have a lot of these a lot of these changes that have happened very much over time. Pretty much, so one of the cars we looked at um, had a full digital display, meaning there were no levers, there were no indicators, no gauges. It was just a an image Computer on a screen. screen. It was an image on a screen. So the little needle that moved, there was no actual needle. It might no, as well have been a. a a Pixar movie in front of you, Toy Story or something. It doesn't matter. Um, it, it, and to me, that I was just like, no way. This is this is past this is past the line for me. Uh, and it's not a fun experience. I really don't like driving. Um, uh, uh, the car, you know, when I go to shift lanes, uh, and it tries to keep me in the lane, yeah, or it misreads you. it misreads the road. That happens every once in a while when I go from one lane and then it kind of forks out into three or four different options. Um, I don't feel the real need to signal a lot of those times, and it doesn't know where I want to go even when I do signal. So, yeah, um, I, I have such an issue with all the technology in cars. Like the new Nissan Z, on mm-hmm. paper, is a really cool car. It's like 400 horsepower, six-speed manual, but like there's no there's no dials. It's a computer screen. It's, it's a not. big touch screen in the center console, and it's a big computer screen which shows you like your tack and your like speedometer. But I, I, I just can't get. I, I would love to have a car that has well, that kind well, of. Why don't you go buy? Why don't you just go buy a cheap Ford Fiesta and then go get this uh, Nissan Z in a video game? <laughs> and you have the same driving experience. That's why I got video the motorcycle. Game. There, motorcycle. There you go. That's back to the basics. Gas hard. Let's. I want to just roll into uh, technology real quick, and then we and then we can wrap. Um, 
because the the insidious nature of technology being and and you've done a really good job in your life of avoiding technology consuming your life but i know that which is odd for someone who spends like more, 80 to 90 percent of their time in front of a computer but it's true but and i i have a lot of respect for you and and uh I'm a bit envious in many respects because, you know, my business is based on my phone being on me and being available. And right, you know, we've been on this, uh, uh, you know, I have so many messages that I've come, seen come through. These notifications popped up on the computer. Uh, I'm just like, fuck, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to have to answer all this shit. So uh, the thing about technology is it is, you know, we are now almost always connected to the Internet and to each other and to some device and it's it's very slow but now with the internet of things this web 3.0 which we talked about a while back where you know my wrist is connected to my toaster right and that's wild which, i get all these notifications I, I hate that i think I got, it's so stupid i get these notifications when the oven is preheating when the food's done they all come to my freaking wrist the garage door opens it goes to my watch. Like I, I am. You chose this though. I, I, I did, and, and there are aspects of it that I really like. But there's also the aspect where I want to be like, I'm going to leave the technology. I'm going to go sit out by the lake, drink a couple of beers, and 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 fish or something. I don't even like to fish, but I think I think fishing is going to be a new hobby of mine because <laughs> you know, I've said this a couple of times in the last month to people. Um, like I start off by saying I'm closer today than I ever have been to achieving my dream of being a hermit and they say well what do you mean i say i watched the movie castaway when i was 15 years old and most people look at it as like an inspirational drama about like a guy overcoming the odds and like and like his return to civilization afterwards and a sad story about like the love that he lost i look at it as an inspirational movie because the middle part of the movie is the best <laughs> like I, if I could find an island like that, uh, I'd be in good shape. Yeah, if I could just arrange for like a monthly supply drop, of like just yeah, have an well, airplane fly I think, over. I think those supplies would be the crucial part. I think you get pretty sick of coconuts and and hermit crab meat. Right, right. What I'm saying is like have a monthly flyover where they drop food and stuff for me to like live off of, and then like yeah, I'm just on a tropical island and there's nobody else. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. <laughs> Uh, on that note, I think that's a great <laughs> note to wrap on. So um, let's uh, let's uh, let's wrap for tonight. This was an interesting uh, angle that we had on the insidious aspect of change over time, but but it's real, and a lot of these changes are not are not great. And I know that every generation looks at the changes, and they look at the next generation after them as as not as good and as weaker and things are going in the wrong direction. But, you know, I think probably in many ways they're not. But but to not address the negatives, I think, is kind of doing a disservice to, to everybody. And I think we need to have a bit of spotlight on some of these bad changes. Are electric cars insidious and, and just bad change? No, probably not, right? But do they drive us nuts? Yes. Um, you know, it's happening with the government. It's happening with uh, abortion law, and we didn't even we didn't we didn't even get into racism. I had something I wanted to add on that, and we talked about authoritative governments. There's a lot of stuff that that we we could have talked a lot more on. Yeah, which is why when we were going through the topics before, that I was like, I don't think we're gonna have to worry about hitting our time on this. We're gonna get there. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, clearly. Um, all right. So on that note, I uh, I bid you all a good evening. Adios. Cheers. And thank you to Rosh Galeb for feeding us your comments. See you guys. You have reached the other end of this episode. Thank you for making it this far. I truly appreciate you uh, sticking with us for an hour. If you made it this this far, you uh, you know there's a lot of other episodes out there, right? Well, check them out on YouTube. Check them out on any audio podcast platform, Spotify, uh, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere. So uh, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.